0: take speed up Your number one now on like land, green
1: dot well, nice guys, guys. hello and welcome to the green dot EA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation I'm Tom Charpentier government relations director at EAA and the host of this episode across the table from me is
0: I'm Chris Henry I'm the museum programs coordinator here and I'm Hal Bryan, the EA's Managing
2: Editor for Print and Digital Content and Publications. And Chris and I are playing some different roles this time, Tom.
1: Yes, that's right. You'll, uh, those of you listening will notice that uh, rather than being co host today, Chris and Hal are, uh, I guess, my guests as, uh, as I, as I skipper this episode. And we talk about um, the, uh, the book that the two of them have written, which I'm surprised we haven't talked about before uh, on, the, on the podcast, uh, given that it's been out for a little over a year now um it's called the final mission and it's uh, stories of um the, the veterans that we've had on, on EA's B-17 aluminum overcast, that's uh, uh, the, the, the stories that we've collected throughout the years. And there's some very powerful and uh, very moving stories that are that are contained in the book. And it's organized in a really, really interesting way. Um, you can get that book at EAA's online store uh, as well as Amazon.com. You can go to Amazon.com slash EAA uh, to get your copy. So, Chris, I wanted to start with you um, because this book really stems from a lot of work that you have done for many years with uh, Aluminum Overcast. How did you start off doing that uh, back when we were in membership?
0: Uh, thanks, Tom. I, I've uh, I've always been a B seventeen nerd. It's it's hands down my favorite airplane. Um, started working on on uh, volunteering around the uh, the B seventeen uh, when I was around uh, twelve years old back in Beaver Falls. Uh, small air museum called Air Heritage. They were restoring a, a B-17 that had a landing mishap. And then through that, they had um, uh, sort of became a repair station for B-17. So we actually saw uh, the movie Memphis Bell Aircraft, uh, Texas Raiders, and a few others. Um, so I've, I've just always been a B-17 uh, nerd. And when I came here and started in the membership services department uh, under Nikki uh, Watts, um I, you know, she kind of knew I was a B-17 nerd right off and was like, hey, let's just, um, you know, everybody in membership has an area that they specialize in. And she was like, do you want that to be your area? You can how- handle the uh, air tours. Um, so, I mean, yeah, absolutely. That's like a dream come true. Um, and what happened is my line, if, if you called to order, uh, you know, a seat on the B-17 uh, somewhere, you uh, how this phone system works is my, my phone would be the one that would be routed to if I was free. So, uh, and if not, then it would just be distributed throughout, you know, the membership services area. So I got a lot of, uh, phone calls. It was like drinking from the fire hydrant of people calling with interest in the B 17. Um, one of the areas that we would ask, and it's on the form as well. If you order online was, you know, what made you want to buy the flight? You know, um, it, it, it it's a uh, it, it's not a small purchase so we wanted to know what 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 was making people uh, want to do this and a lot of folks were just very dedicated to helping keep the B17 going uh, and th- those flights absolutely uh, helped do that uh, it was a bucket list item for a lot of people and uh, we're always happy to have those uh, folks come fly with us but a lot of folks were sharing little stories about my grandfather flew on B17s and I want to go see Uh, where he sat on one and I want to fly in that spot. Or some of us, uh, uh, some family members were writing in and saying, you know, we're lucky enough to still have my dad who was a top turret gunner and we want to buy him one more flight on a Mm -hmm. B-17. So when I started getting these messages, I would work with the people getting their flight set up. And then a lot of times I would just kind of go back and forth and say, hey, what bomb group was your loved one in? Or have you seen photos of him? And sometimes they would have photos that they'd like to share. Other times they had nothing other than his name, and thanks to a lot of the wonderful bomb group associations, I was able to find, you know, photos from the war of this person and his, their crew standing in front of their airplane, you know, that classic pose, It would send that back to them and say, hey, you're booked on the 10 o'clock flight in Ukiah, California, and, uh, and by the way, here's a photo of your grandfather in World War II. Uh, so that was, it was really a lot of fun. It was a really rewarding uh, area to work here at EA.
1: Yeah, and I do have to add that Chris is is magic when it comes to these kinds of uh, this kind of family research and uh, and 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 discovering stories and, and pictures from these veterans. Uh, I was at a um, a family uh, Christmas party a couple of years ago, and a family member mentioned that um, her father had flown, um, flo- I think, flown the Hump um, in China Burma India. I just sent uh, a little bit of basic information to Chris. Um, there at the party about 15 minutes later i had a picture of uh, of her her father's plane with him in it flying the hump
0: I, I love when it works out uh you know i uh i i can only take credit for running the google machine and and trying to find uh uh what's out there you know the real credit goes to the folks obviously it took that photo during the war but uh but it, it's Uh, And those wonderful associations that are really working to keep their area of the war effort preserved. Uh, it, It really makes research a lot easier. So,
1: Chris, you were working with, uh, with with families of the veterans, of course, that were flying in the B-17, but you also started working more and more with the veterans themselves, and you, you were able to work together with our with our flight operations department to come up with uh, a program that I don't think we had done before um, as far as generating media interest in the aircraft, and that led to a lot more stories, didn't it?
0: It did. You know, I, th- there's there's not a lot of restored B-17s flying out there. I mean, there, there's a handful, um, but, you know... F- I, for a lot of times the media, you know, to them, an old airplane came to the airport, they covered the story and they don't really need to cover that again. Um, And, you know, we like to try to make sure that we keep, we do want to have interest in the airplane coming because it is such a a wonderful thing. It's a great thing for the airport, the community. Um, So we started uh, working with the media of what would, what would be interesting to you to cover. And, you know, they've Basically, said, you know, people stories are, are something we were really interested in, especially local community veterans. Um, and, you know, it, it gave us an opportunity to do something really great by the veterans as well. Uh, and that was on our media flights, uh, we started uh, saving a seat or two, and we would get a veteran who maybe otherwise could afford this flight um, to fly with us. So we'd take them up uh, and, and put them on the media flight with us. And what was really neat was during the war, a lot of these small towns... Their big contribution to the war effort, where their 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 folks, their, the people from these small towns that went to fight the war, they would actually you know kind of keep tabs on them, and and it would make their small town papers and news of of so and so did this, and he's in this bomb group, and he had great success, or he shot down you know an enemy airplanes. Um, this was one more, and when they came home, it was also big news. The, these folks were in parades, and and you know, this was one more time to get them to be frontline news at their hometown. And, and it was really cool to see that the sort of closure, one more flight uh, on the B-17. And uh, and anybody that's involved in vintage um, or uh, or warbirds will know that, you know, a lot of times you get these older aircraft here or, and around an airport uh, and around people who Um, have some past involvement with them, you start hearing these amazing stories. And that's what happened with Aluminum Overcast. These stories started pouring out. So many times people say, boy, I wish we would have written those down. Those are really neat stories. And uh, it all started out with just, I, I was really just doing it for fun, would record some stories and then sometimes share them on Facebook and things like that.
1: Yeah, I remember those uh, the, the, those early uh, those early posts you'd put yeah. up, where you just kind of had an album of of, uh, of your veterans. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, uh, yeah that was <laughs> that, uh,
0: that was one of our marketing uh, folks. that handled air tours would call them my veterans. Yeah, yeah that was uh, Brittany, I think was her name. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, and uh, and it really just kind of grew from there. So, the, uh, the the work that you were doing organizing the media flights, um, eventually you you kind of collected um, the best stories into a, uh, or maybe the most representative stories, uh, into a presentation um, that uh, that you started uh, giving. How did that come about?
0: Um, yeah, I just um, I, I just tried to preserve every veteran who flew with us, um, and then. Uh, I think I was working with Nikki and Nikki said, you should consider putting like a talk together to do for the staff here. And um, I did that and people seemed to really like it. And it just kind of started to become its own thing. It also evolved because there were more stories coming in. So I, I was, you know, it wasn't always the same talk necessarily every time. And um, I gave it, I was, I was invited to give it for the board here at EAA, uh, which, which was a high honor. And, and I did. Um, and then, uh, uh, that's how we got into this mess, I guess, uh, is how we, what we can say, uh, um, uh, Jack, uh, and Rose were in attendance and, um, that evening Rose uh, Pelton said, you know, you guys should consider doing a book. Uh, She said that to Jack, uh, the next day, I think, uh, Jack came in and talked to Jim and, um and then uh jim basically uh turned to me and hal and and said okay we're making a book (laughs) so uh i i I really think that's how it all uh, started
2: (laughs) i was i was just gonna say that uh um you know that was one of those sort of pivotal moments where it's it, it almost seemed like an offhand suggestion but uh you know, number one, we all trust Jack and his instincts. Number two, an offhand suggestion from the CEO <laughs> is uh, there's nothing offhand or suggestive about it. It's uh, it was very clear direction, and I'm sure glad uh, I'm sure glad Jack lit that fire and uh, and got behind it. Um, and you know, uh, so Jim is Jim Busha, uh, who was. I don't know if he was still just uh, director of publications at the time. He's a a vice president now. Um, He and I had worked together on, uh, he's done a number of books on his own. He and I had worked together on a book uh, previously. And so uh, the interesting thing for us at, at that point, when we said, hey, we're going to do a book, is looking around the organization and saying, you know what? We don't need to just put together a Word document and hand it off to somebody externally. We have... All of the talent we need internally to to produce this and then simply hand it off to a publisher for for printing and uh, we were off and running
1: yeah uh, it it is it is really neat at EAA just the kind of resources that we have inside the building I mean we are you know we we have departments that can handle just about anything as far as uh, well putting on a giant event uh, you know putting out publications anything like that um, producing some
2: kind of amazing world class podcast for example <laughs> exactly. absolutely
0: exactly. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well it, it, you know it is something house touched on uh before when uh, you know we we've, we've talked about things and you know at several points during uh you know the, the putting this book together we'd be like oh man how does that work on a B-17 and we would just drive over to the Weeks Hangar and get in the B-17 and like, ah, okay, that's how that went, you know, and I mean, that's something that a lot of, we're so lucky to have that resource.
2: That is a uh, just an almost indescribable, just embarrassment of, of riches. <laughs> you know, you think about working on, you know, somebody else that could write a great book and many people have about any number of topics, but somebody writing a book about a B-17, you know, if they don't have a B-17, it's a little bit harder and we are, so beyond, uh, beyond fortunate to have uh, our air tours aircraft and the tremendous support we get from members and, and those who purchase rides around the country.
1: I was literally just finishing an audio book this morning, and uh, it was aviation history related, and uh, the author was putting in the, in their acknowledgements, uh, you know, thank you to so-and-so museum for uh, giving me the incredible honor of letting me sit in the cockpit of <laughs> <Yes>. this airplane. <laughs> gosh, we barely even have to ask for permission going over the weeks. <laughs> <airport>. <laughs> um, before we go completely over to the book, I just, I, I do want to acknowledge, um, you know, when Chris is talking about his uh, his presentation, uh, he is uh, uh, perhaps selling himself. social Short a little bit. Um, not only did he to, has he given this presentation many times to uh, organizations like the EA Board and, and and many others. Um, he's given this presentation to the Smithsonian uh, Institution, the National Air and Space Museum um, was doing a, a speaker series that he was uh, participated in. Um, he's given it to many many different uh, uh, professional associations that are looking for a speaker on um, on leadership and and sacrifice and and all the other themes that are in there. Um, and important to the work that that uh, that I do specifically at EAA, um, he's given this presentation several times now to senior FAA leadership, which is really important um, in the it, it, it definitely in the face of um, of some high profile incidents involving warbirds recently about just how important it is that we keep these airplanes flying to preserve these stories. So, um, and, and oh, and I completely forgot. Also, he. Um, he was there, uh, giving the giving the talk the weekend that the Memphis Bell was unveiled at the uh, National Museum of the United States Air Force. I believe you opened for the movie, didn't you?
0: Yeah, yeah that was an ultimate geek out. That's like doing a lecture on bats as they unveil Babe Ruth's bat at the Hall of Fame or something. Like that was super neat. So
2: I thought you were going to say like doing a lecture on bats before bat like Man. a new Batman new movie. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, <exactly. laughs> you really had my interest there for a minute. Then you went all sports. Yeah, it was it was super cool. I mean, it was. You know, Memphis Bell's is my favorite B seventeen uh, with aluminum overcast. So uh, it was it was a high honor to get to do that. And thanks for your kind words, Tom. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely, You deserve every bit of it. So taking it back to the book now, Chris um, and could why don't you describe the uh, the the roles that each of you had in uh, in in putting this uh, together into writing.
0: Well, you know, the one of the, uh, the areas that I did, of course, was I put the the stories together. These are the stories I recorded over the years. I tried to pick uh, a good sampling of the stories that would really kind of tell a broad spectrum of what it was like to be in a bomber, those who supported bomber crews, and uh, and hopefully, you know, building uh, B-17s on the home front, what happened here back in the United States. Um, but it's something that I've said before um, without... You know, without the efforts of my partner in crime here, Hal, and the others who are behind the scenes and all this, this book would have been like a coloring book. Uh, I mean, literally, I handed <laughs> them a Word document and said, here's all the stories. Good luck. Um, and they made that into something that I'm, I'm really proud of. So uh, Hal can speak more to what happened on the team side on, on that. But just like a B-17, there's 10 people up in the B-17, but there's countless people that help support to get that aircraft in the air.
2: Uh, that's uh, that's a great way to put it, Chris. And, uh, you know, if you look at the spine of the book, it says uh, this book is by by Chris Henry with Hal Bryan. And it really, frankly, really should just say with EAA, um, because there was, uh, it, this was such a team effort. And we talked about, uh, you know, the upside is you have, we're so fortunate to have this great talented team of people in all different aspects of, design and marketing and all different kinds of editing and all these other things uh, that we've got photography, uh, photo, video, all those things all come together and, and helped with the production of this book. Um, you know, the, the other side of that is, uh, there's a, there's a whole lot of people who have to do a whole bunch of, you know, additional, uh, additional effort for something that, that, uh, um, was out of the ordinary. And for our graphic designer, Brandon Jacobs, who, uh, who hates hearing his name mentioned and loves to just lurk behind the scenes? So, uh, um, so I'm glad to uh, glad to ignore that here. Um, he'd never laid out a book before, and I would maintain you would never know it when you look at uh, when you look at this book, um, the cover in particular. Uh, starting with a beautiful air-to-air photo of uh, aluminum overcast. And uh, the airplane itself is is uh, is printed with a different treatment so that it's reflective. It, the airplane kind of glows. Um, and then there's this beautiful uh, sun behind it and all the clouds. And if you look closely in the clouds, you see the faces of several of the veterans whose stories are included. And it's easy to miss uh, if you unless you really stop and look at it. And I... I like to think that holds true through the, the whole book is um, the the deeper you go into the book, the more you're rewarded.
0: Absolutely. I One of the things I really geeked out about is there were times where I would um, something would need to get looked at. And they'd, they'd call me up somebody from uh, the other side here because I work on the other side of the museum. And I'd go over and it was just really neat to see, like, I think at one point I went over and Kayla had like a map of like where the veterans were based at. Like she plotted out. Right. where the where the bases were of the people we were talking about and these were you know world war ii army air force bases i went over to brandon for something and he literally had a b-17 manual sitting on his desk like he, he was working on something And i'm like that is just that was just really neat to go up there and you're seeing you know these folks with just different artifacts and things around the b-17 and they're just kind of using it to to help hone in different areas of the book.
2: So that just uh, also speaks to, uh, once again, how incredibly fortunate we are and, and just beyond privilege we are to work at an organization that has all of these resources we have. If we need to look at a B-17 manual or we can go to our, our library and our archives to do that, if we want to look at at uh, World War Two bomber pilot flight gear. We've got those on display in the museum or, or in the back rooms. And, of course, as we've said, if we need to go sit in and, uh, or even uh, at one point go for, a, go for a flight, which we'll talk about in a little bit in the B-17, you know, that's there as an option uh, if it serves the purpose of, of telling these stories. Um, one of the things for me that, uh, uh, that I love most about the organization of it because it's um, it, Chris did all of the hard work. Uh, and then, uh, you know, gave us so much great stuff to work with and kind of assemble and shape and things. But one of the harder things in my experience about doing uh, doing an, a, a book like this um, is figuring out how to organize it. And Chris, you had grouped the stories by crew position. And that became such a uh, you know, I think we first looked at it and we said, well, we could do this sort of chronologically or this person served with that person or everything else. And we realized now it just made sense to keep that organization. So if you read through the book start to finish, you've literally taken a walk through the B-17 from station to station, found out what do people do in that station and who were the the people that occupied those. And then, as we've said uh, sections at the end about the people who built the B-17s, about the people who supported them, people who uh, supported the troops uh, in general. And that was uh, that was such a gift because, you know, step one, we have this tremendous gold mine of raw material in terms of the stories. Step two, we know how it's going to go together. And once those uh, once you have those two things in place, from there, it's just Honing and polishing and everything else, and and boy did uh, did everybody who worked on this book worked hard, long hours. But I think it shows. I mean, I'm biased, but what can I say? (laughs) I'm
0: very proud of what what we all put out.
1: Yeah, at at the risk of making this podcast sound a little bit too rah-rah, EAA, but uh, you know the the, the, the people that we have here are, are really amazing. I mean, um, how you mentioned specifically the, the, uh, the creative folks who, uh, who put this together. I think they're the real, um, in many ways, the unsung heroes of this organization. I mean, they're, uh, we have some very talented people that are, that are putting together the, uh, the, the look and feel of our magazine and, and just the organization overall. And, and it really does show here. Um, <clears throat> talking about the, uh, the organization of the book um, that that is uh, again a very creative way to do it and, and one i don't think i've i've seen in any other um, uh, book about b17s or or um, or other uh, other aircraft uh, but it makes a lot of sense because i mean on, on a b17 you have a 10 person crew and the specialties and the talents of each person in that in that team are very different, and and it's really fascinating. You know, B, you know, Chris, I'm sure you'd speak to this. You know, B-17 crews were kept together during the war, and uh, um, and you had you know pilots thrown together with gunners and bombardiers and navigators and radio operators, and oh by the way, they're from every different corner of the country and every different walk of life thrown together in this uh, in this crew for. The duration of their time in this war um did any did you see any common threads between um you know people the the stories of people in a particular position you know from one position to another
0: um you know i did and you're right the crews would really uh crews really stuck closely together uh the first thing that um the first thing that i've i've really learned from this whole experience was take the phrase never and throw it out the window, um, <laughs> because you know a lot of guys would say, well, that would never happen, or they wouldn't do this, and you even just down to the equipment that they would wear, you'd see a lot of pilots in some of the pictures wearing flight gear that was not United States Army Air Force-issued flight gear. They were wearing RAF stuff, and because they would trade and things like that. So that was like the first thing I learned in this was anything is possible, uh, but a lot of similarities um, A lot of the crews said that they basically just stuck to their own crew. Uh, And I think especially early on in the war effort, you know, you're talking late 42, early to mid 43, uh, you know, being in a B-17 was so rough. Uh, Being in a bomber crew in the 8th was basically a death sentence for a lot of people. And that is how they felt. So they wouldn't really talk with crews outside of their own simply because they lived together. And then they didn't want to get too close to another crew because it, it hurt too bad to lose your friends over there. Um, and uh, it, make no mistake, what these, these folks were doing in these bombers was was dangerous and, uh, and terribly unforgiving. And uh, as far as crew positions, um, you know, one of the things that I learned was like the ball turret gunners. I always thought that, that was, oh, my gosh, that'd be, you'd be so afraid to get into that ball. And a lot of the ball turret gunners were like, "Oh, that was the best seat in the house," you know. And that that's actually a common thing. I just talked to a ball turret gunner last week, and he's like, "Best best position on the airplane because it was warm because you're kind of huddled down into this ball. It's steel." And he goes, "So you have a little bit of armor, you know, not a lot of armor plating on a B seventeen, but the ball turret was all steel." And um, and he said, uh, um, "You know, uh, it even goes back to Doug Ward, who was a a, a long supporter." Uh, who would say that I'd take a Hershey bar and my Reader's Digest and I'd go down there even before I had to be down there because uh, it was warm and I'd eat my Hershey bar and, and read a magazine as we are flying across the coast. So um, t- little things like that, uh, absolutely. Well,
2: and that's, that's so incredible to think about because uh, I don't know, several years ago during one of our annual Wash the B-17 days at EAA, um, we uh, – had the ball turret powered up on the ground and um so i went up there and and folded myself into quarters and squoze into that and you know once you get in I, i the the layout and things make sense but it still was among the most uh fascinating disorienting and occasionally claustrophobic experiences of my life, and I'm sitting on the ground in a hangar surrounded by friends. You know, you take that same sensation and you put it up at thirty thousand feet, and it's forty below, and and plus one of the the mightiest uh, armed forces in all of human history is doing its best to kill you. It's it's uh, it's staggering, but that's the um, that's the thing that that needs to come from these stories is to remember um that all of this was real it was tangible it was visceral and it's uh it, it's staggering when it, if you really once you really really grasp the enormity of what uh, what these people did when we asked a bunch of teenage kids frankly uh please go uh you know go save the world a lot, uh, most of you are going to die in the process but it's a it's a worthy cause you know go out and do that Uh, once you once you grasp that you you almost you just become sort of inarticulate about it so the ability to to chris for you and i to work together with with such an amazing team to to share these stories that are so important um is uh it's just it's just beyond measure it's just really hard to describe
1: I'd like to get into some of those stories um, in, in with the time we have left in the in the podcast, but I did want to just um cover a couple more things about the uh, the book itself. Um. Hal, can you talk about the uh, the QR codes that you'll find in um, the, throughout the pages of the book?
2: Sure, absolutely. So uh, we talked about the book being kind of a tour of the uh, airplane itself, and so going station by station. And you'll notice, uh, hopefully, a fairly unobtrusive uh, QR code at the beginning of each section. And if you point your phone at that, uh, that will bring up a, a video that it was shot... Um, in the air from that crew station just so you can see what did that person see when they were sitting on board this airplane? Um, you know, thanks to our whole uh, photo video team uh, Christina Baskin also our podcast producer and Scott geezy and uh, Connor Madison uh, and Alden Frauchi. Um Alden in particular came up with uh, uh, Some audio to put together. He and I worked on this together quite a bit Doing uh, uh, if you put your headphones on and you watch these cruise stations, the main audio is just, you know, you're looking out the window on a nice, sunny uh, Wisconsin day as we fly over the countryside uh, and the roar of the engines and things. But you listen carefully. You might hear a Messerschmitt fly by. You might hear a little bit of gunfire. You might hear some radio chatter things like that, to just give you a, a little bit more of a hint and make it a little bit more immersive about what uh, what this experience was like. And I have to say that uh, um, Alden and I hid an Easter egg in one of those videos in one of those stations. To this day, I've never heard that anybody has found it. So if you have the book uh, or hopefully uh, you decide to get a copy of the book uh, and you find that Easter egg, you've really got to let us know because uh, you could still be the first. I don't know, maybe there'll be a maybe there'll be a prize. Uh, you, a date with Chris Henry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Boy and that, let me tell you, it will yes. be something. <laughs> Your wife will be so relieved. She'll be yeah. <laughs> um and, and Hal, you
1: actually uh you, you actually got to uh, to fly for uh, oh for some gosh. of this, didn't you? I, I, and we and by the way, we've all um now had uh, at least one uh, uh flight on the B17. Yes. Which is incredible
2: it is absolutely incredible it's indescribable and and yes i was uh uh beyond it was just gobsmackingly privileged to be able to get uh, about 20 25 minutes up in the left seat and that was something i would dreamt of you know my entire life and um what a what a tremendous tremendous feeling that was uh, coming over uh so the lake lake winnebago and the shoreline coming back to to oshkosh and and that area and predicting what this airplane would feel like you know it's a big heavy solid airplane and that's exactly how it feels and like a lot of other heavy tail draggers you lead with the rudder so a turn you stomp your foot then you turn the wheel and then you you hang out for a while and it rolls into a bank but it's uh it's smooth and responsive and does just what you want it to do and uh this was years ago and i i I get goosebumps to this day that was one of the most Impactful uh, flying experiences of my life. I'm forever grateful to uh, Sean Elliot, our uh, Tom's boss, and our, our uh, one of our VPs, who made that uh, made that possible. Um, and it was a tremendous bit of an additional inspiration to really drive forward and and uh, make this book uh, the best we could make it.
1: And I think you know, as um, as pilots ourselves, we tend to identify, um, I think probably most strongly with the, with, with the, with the two guys flying the airplane. And just to think that, you know, an aircraft commander in charge of that massive hunk of aluminum and nine other guys with the sky exploding over Berlin would have been far younger than any of us. Absolutely. Less than half
2: my age.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The average age, uh, B-17 commander was about 21, 22 yeah I mean the gunners were sometimes right out of high school, you know the enlisted guys in the back. I mean it just when we talk about young people, they were terribly young, so it makes it kind of funny when you watch uh you know sometimes uh modern war movies and they've got people in their like thirties and forties playing air crew. you're like, yeah, I don't think so <laughs> <Right>?
1: <laughs> yeah
0: that's something that always amazed me too about just the whole thing is you know you're you're hit let's say you get hit on a mission. And it may be in the early part of the mission. You've got to lay there on that fortress floor for six hours before you can get home. You know, so you're wounded. You're not going to an aid station. You're, the plane's not turning around and going back. They're they're on the bomb run. You know, they're they're going on the mission, and they'll patch you up the best they can with what they have on board. But you're six hours a six hour flight away from a hospital yet. I mean, to and me, they- that was always amazing.
2: You know, and now we'd think about if we had somebody on an airplane, we were flying in a medical emergency instantly. All we're going to do is go to the nearest airport. But if the, you know, if the nearest airport, as you said, is in Berlin, you know, we're sure <laughs> yeah. we're sure not going to stop there. <laughs> and then and then think about you might be there and wounded and you might you're, you're laying on the floor. You're out of the fight for a bit. But but you're not. And yeah. there's you still have hours, hours ahead of you uh, with uh, with a lot of people trying to trying to blow you out of the sky.
1: Yeah, and that's something that I think a lot of us don't, um, are, are, a lot of folks who aren't really familiar with, you know, the strategic bombing and the B 17s and B 24s, and of course, everything that the Br- um, British were doing on at night, um, is that, you know, you think of the airplane going down as that being the biggest cause of casualties. But, you know, you think about the flak that was flying around that sky. Doug Ward, um, you know, used to carry around a piece of flak, and this thing was a piece of iron the size of a railroad tie. That um, and, and there were thousands of the tens of thousands of these things. You just ripping holes in airplanes and people up there. Um, oh. So anyway, I, I uh, like like I said, with the time we got left, uh, let, let's let's go let tease a couple of the stories, more significant stories that are in um, in this book here. Uh, well, maybe shouldn't say significant because I think every every one of them is worthy. But yeah, um, there's no way to weigh yeah. some against the others. But <laughs> yeah.
2: some made me cry harder than others. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> even on the eighth, tenth, twelfth read, <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah. Well, one that one that sticks
1: out in my mind, just because uh, all of us at EAA were were part of it, and it was a really unique experience was freedom flight, um, which was the name that we gave to, uh, to a very unique veterans flight that, uh, that you organized, Chris. you want to uh, take us through that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really give a lot of credit to EA for going with this idea, because I was pretty new here at the organization, and uh, we had gone to, uh, I believe it was a Doolittle Raider uh, reunion, and on the way home, we were like, man, you know, these reunions are going to get harder and harder, and, and eventually they're not going to happen. And we started talking about B-17s and it was we, we started asking, I wonder if there was any entire B-17 crew left, all 10 guys. And we found out there weren't. And then we started talking about, wouldn't it be cool to put together our own 10-man crew and go for a flight on the B-17? And uh, we had great support here from the SLTDA to see if you could make it happen. Um, and it took about three months to actually find... Uh, A veteran who represented, you know, a full crew, bombardier all the way back to tail gunner on the airplane, all 10 crew positions. And uh, but we did. We found that we had 10 veterans together. Uh, We were all set. It was April 14th, 2014 is when we were going to do this flight. Um, I always tell everybody I'm originally from Pittsburgh. And in April, we have spring and in Wisconsin, we have like winter part two uh, (laughs) that happens here. And um, it snowed a uh, night before the flight it snows and i'm like oh gosh we i can't believe this you know i had had jeeps and military vehicles that were all going to be here to to pick up the veterans at the museum and then take them over to the other side of the to the week's hangar to where the B17 is to for the flight and the,
1: and the schedule was really tight it too was, right yeah. the, 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 i think it had to go out on tour like it a, a day it was going out on two.
0: tour like a day later yeah, yeah. so uh we have uh, the airplane, all you know, all set, and it, we, we don't have the weather. All 10 veterans show up. We have them in the lobby of the museum, and they're meeting each other. It was really cool because some of them were meeting for the first time. Uh, two guys actually flew together in the 398th, which was pretty neat. Um, but um, a lot of them were meeting each other for the first time, and I think this is how they came together as a crew originally, where they would introduce themselves, and they'd say, I'm going to be your top turret gunner. you know. So... Um, and I thought it was like, well, it's a success. We have 10 B-17 veterans here. That alone is, is, is an accomplishment. Um, I didn't think there was a, any way that the Military Veterans Museum, who is a, a great museum just down the road from us, would ever bring their military vehicles out in this weather. They did. Uh, and they were like, you know, for these guys, yeah, we're going to bring our, our Jeeps and our trucks out. Um, and it was time to go over to the Weeks Hangar. We had a nice warm van uh, for the for the veterans and, and another warm van for the uh, families. Cause these guys are all in their they're the youngest 90s. one we had was ninety, yeah. Man, and so we go outside. And it's 30 degrees outside this day, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, we're going to go in the jeeps," and they all start piling in the one jeep like they would have during the war. Like one guy started to crawl up on the hood, and <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh god, like this is going to be my last day here because like I'm going to have people getting hurt and killed," you know? So uh, we finally at least got them to ride in the seats of the jeeps and trucks, and uh, brought them over, and they they had a chance to show their family members where they sat. A lot of the family members had never had a chance to see this. And then by some dumb luck, uh, I'll never forget, Sean uh, comes running under the wing and he's like, we have weather to go right now. And uh, the weather had had, uh, gotten uh, better for us. Veterans all loaded in the plane and we got them a flight. And they got to go up for about 20 minutes. And when they came back, one of the cool comments that has always stuck with me is they said, thank you for giving us back our airplane and they said we some of us had flown in a B17 at an air show or something in the summer but they said we've never flown in it again when it was cold and we could see our breath in the airplane and they said that's how we remember the B17 was you know just being cold and up at altitude and everything so um it was a really really amazing day
1: yeah i think uh, just i think that that's just the the, the most awesome thing that that um uh, we were able to do with that flight and i mean you know the the flight certainly you know did some good for the promotion of the airplane and, and the, uh, and, and the book and well, it gave us great material for the book and, uh, and a lot of other uh, media that we did, but it really was, I mean, you put that together for the guys and for the veterans and, um, and, and their families and, uh, uh, yeah, just to, you know, just the weather and, uh, the, um, the condition yeah the weather conditions uh, and and everything we were able to put together with the vehicles i, I think uh, for a lot of them uh, it was it was a good i think coda to their uh to, to their service and I think you said only about only two of them are still with us I
0: think there's only two or three of those guys left i wow. I've, I've stayed in touch with all of them and unfortunately we've uh, we've lost quite a bit of them and uh you know it um something I want to point out is this is what You know, we put this book together using material that Air Tours just does every day. You know, this is just their Tuesday. Uh, We just were lucky enough to really get sort of hands-on, record what was going on on our aircraft, and we did make a book out of it. But this is the power that these vintage aircraft that are continuing to fly and we share on the Air Tours, this is what they do every day. This This is their role, their duty. That's
2: a, a really good point, Chris, because something I was thinking about earlier uh, in our discussion today was that uh, these stories are there. You know, we didn't go out and, and try to, to somehow generate or drum up these stories. Uh, you just had the foresight, and and more kudos to you for doing it. You had the foresight to ask, because it would be easy to say, I want to buy a ticket on the B-17. You know, okay, give me your credit card number. Thank you for supporting EA. Good day. But you have the foresight to start asking, well, why? What, what interests you about it? And you find the stories of the families and the veterans and things like that. And, and this airplane, uh, just as, as uh, you know, any good vintage airplane, any Warbird, is a magnet for those stories. And every second of every day, we're closer to the point where all of those stories will become secondhand. And, and we are so lucky, so fortunate that we were able to share so many of them uh, effectively firsthand. So I
1: think probably my favorite story in the book is um uh, the the story of uh, George freetag who um I, I'll just I'll just summarize it real quickly cuz we're running short on time here but uh I mean basically the airplane takes a takes a flak hit there's an explosion on board um the top turret gunner runs back to his buddy uh in the radio room which is on fire he puts out the fire Realizes that his buddy's parachute is shredded, and the pilot's saying, "We we we need to bail out." And the top turret gunner, is and and the the radio operators, yes, parachute is shredded, and the radio operator says to the uh, top turret gunner, "You get you better you better get out of here." Top turret gunner says something to the effect of, "Not without you, I'm not," and throws his parachute out the window. I always think that like every Hollywood movie that is about World War II that has some fake story that they ginned up is a crime until they actually tell that story on yeah, film. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Exactly. And nobody thought about the poor uh, pilot who's now responsible for two guys who can't bail out. <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. and, uh, he's like, well, I'll try to get us as far as I can. And, uh, and that airplane actually holds the record for the most combat-damaged Allied uh, aircraft to return from a mission. They came home with over 30,000 holes shot in their B-17. And there's a memorial for it at Warner Robins Air Force Base, um, but yeah, I mean, we, we had to go deep because when he started telling us the number of holes, um, Max, who sit next to me, was a B twenty four fan, and he was like, "There's no way that happened," you know. And uh, we did the did the research, and the Air Force confirmed that. Yep, that George Freetag was a radio operator on that airplane.
1: Hal, do you have a do you have a favorite story as we finish up here?
2: Um, absolutely, and uh, and of course, it's Chris's to tell. Um, Chris knows what I mean uh, when I say, uh, would you tell us again about the jacket?
0: Absolutely, yeah, uh, and, and it, it's one of my favorites as well. And it was really a, uh, a changing point, I think, and for how I looked at what I did. Um, I, at some point uh, through my work uh, in membership, um, I worked with marketing and I would help with uh, the air tours, uh, with the media flights. Uh, so media flights are always on a Thursday. Um, and we would kind of divvy up split. Sometimes I would do the tri-motor stuff. Sometimes I'd do the B-17 stuff. And I was, this was my first B-17 uh, media flight. I was really excited about it. Um, the media has a responsibility to cover what's going on in their town. So they can't always come to what we're doing. But I was able to get um, a B-17 waist gunner and then nine members of the media to come and fly. So I was really excited, I had a full media flight. And um, there was a, stick with me here, there was a musician that did something crazy and he like smuggled a monkey into the country or out of the country and the media wanted to go cover this for some reason and they jumped off the media flight. And so I had one member, it was a newspaper uh, reporter who was still going to fly with us. And then this veteran. Now, normally when something like that would happen, we would look at, you know, is it smart to put cycles on the aircraft uh, for one member of the media? We can just do a ground tour. The issue with that is we had this veteran and this veteran's family had traveled from all around the country to be there for this day. This day had been built up for this veteran. Um, You know, I, I, I conferred with, uh, with Christy and Sean and they both were like, no, we need to do right by this uh, by this gentleman. So we're going to fly. And uh, we loaded the aircraft with the rest of his family that came, and we flew the media flight with the veteran, his family, and then the one newspaper reporter. In my book, The Newspaper Reporter got the best story in town that day. But uh, <laughs> So once you fly on the airplane, you're eligible to buy this jacket. It's a really cool green jacket. It's a flight jacket that has the uh, B-17 embroidered on the back. Um, you can only get it once you flew on the jacket. I always like to joke that I think I ordered mine when we were taxiing in for my first flight. And uh, this is Monday morning. Monday morning, I come in and the uh, uh, the son is on the phone with me, ordering this jacket for his dad. And I'm like, well, hey, that you know, it's great. I'm glad to hear this all went off. How, uh, you know, how did the flight go? How how did everything go? Did you like it? And he said, uh, well, we were all together. And we're from all over the place right now, so we don't always get to do that. So we said, let's make the most of this. We had a family reunion sort of around this. And that night we went out to dinner, and uh, Dad uh, told us a story that every mission they flew when they landed, they would uh, have a shot of whiskey. So we all had whiskey, even the uh, grandkids, which I'm not really sure how old they were. And uh, he said then... um, my dad pulls out this little notebook and he just wrote, you know, it was where he kept track of all his missions during the war. And he wrote mission number 26. I I got to fly with my family. And he said that night we all went home and dad passed in his sleep. And, uh, the jacket is, uh, for his funeral, we would want to bury him in your B-17 jacket. And that forever changed how I look at all this. Um, this, uh, you know, for us, it's not just, getting a chance to fly a cool airplane it's uh it came with it comes with preserving a legacy that's far greater than just paint and rivets it's uh it's something very real this is you know this is how these gentlemen want to be remembered um as a matter of fact uh, one of the veterans that we flew on his tombstone he was adamant that he wanted tail gunner 91st bomb group on his tombstone that's how he wants history to remember uh him so uh, there's a great responsibility that 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 comes with being around these aircraft, and uh, I, I'm honored to just just to get to be a sliver of it here.
1: Yeah, it's um, uh, thank thank you for bringing that that uh the story of the jacket up, Hal, because uh, that one still chokes me up every time when Absolutely. we uh, when we talk about that one. Uh, that's there's some there's some other stories in the book that are um, a little hard to explain. Uh, yeah. just, just everything that, that, that took place, um, on that flight and, and following. Um, and it's, and you're right. It's a, it's a really good, uh, illustration of, you know, you know, we're, we're losing, we're, we're our, our World War Two veterans are, are almost all gone now. Um, you know, it's, uh, we really have very few of them left. And as, as, um, as, as the human memory fades as it inevitably does, um, there's, it, it falls to us to, to continue to keep these stories alive for um, not, you know, the the families of the veterans and, and everybody else.
0: Well, as Hal said, we're, we're quickly approaching a time where it's going to be up to a, a different generation to preserve the stories of the World War II vets and, and everybody who served in that, uh, in that great conflict. And I'm really proud to have been a part of this team. I'm proud of the product we put out. And uh, I, I'm I'm just honored that I got to do it here uh, at an organization that I believe in the mission, and I got to do it with people who I consider close friends. It's it's a it's a high honor and a very rare honor, as a matter of fact.
2: Here, here,
1: absolutely. Well, um, Chris Hal, thank you so much for uh, for uh, coming on the uh, coming on the show <laughs> to to <laughs> talk about the book.
0: It was a long commute. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: absolutely.
2: Uh, but I have to say, I, I I think Chris and I agree we were treated very well. Yes, uh, it's yeah, uh, the the, uh, the the entire uh, production team and staff of the Green Dot, which uh, which right now is Christina and Tom, have taken uh, great care of us. Yeah, no um, no
0: green M Ms in my dressing room, but other than well, that, you know, yeah, at least uh, your
2: dressing room has a door.
0: <laughs> oh, that's true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, there's so many other great stories in the book. Uh, we, and we'd be remiss if we, if we didn't just quickly mention that um, it's not just about the air crews. There's um, there's, there's some stories about uh, the folks um, who built the aircraft, um, some of whom had never flown uh, in the B-17 before, um, before they were able to fly in ours
2: after, you know, 70, 80 years. Well, and and some of those people had never even really seen a completed one yeah, or, or, or seen one, at least seen one since the war. I yeah. think
0: that was uh, Betty, who was one yeah. of the Rosie Rivers, who said, I never saw a B-17 in one piece because I always just, on just, on the <laughs> just worked on
2: the parts as they rolled <laughs> yeah. by on the assembly line, practically.
1: So there, and and there's some very impactful stories of uh, of, of their experiences too, and uh, some some real um, some real emotional ones. Um, the wasps who uh, who helped to uh, fly the aircraft uh, to the front lines and and uh, and all the others that were involved with the B seventeen. It's a very unique book. Um, it's it's got stories you won't find anywhere else, and um, and all of us at the AA are very proud of it. Um, If you do uh, get the book, um, please do leave a review if you can. you know, in the in the in the uh, book selling business, reviews are everything. So, um, you know, your favorite—if uh, uh, you buy it on Amazon, leave a review there. Um, Goodreads and and all the other uh, uh, review platforms. Uh, please do share your thoughts. Um, it's uh, it's it's very very important. I also should mention that uh, there there are two very notable people who um, who provided the forward to this book. Uh, who we almost forgot, uh, uh, Dr. Harry Friedman, uh, and who. Um, was, was instrumental in the preservation of the Memphis Bell. And of course, Colonel Frank Borman, uh, who uh, was incredibly involved in the Warbird community, has been for, for many, many years. And uh, oh, by the way, he also commanded the first flight around the moon <laughs> and most notably has been on our podcast. <laughs> as, yes, I'm as sure Dr.
2: Friedman. <laughs> I'm sure they both rank that at the very top <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. of the list of achievements. <laughs> um, and uh, just a quick pile on, uh, Tom, of course, it, I hope it goes without saying, but EA, we are a nonprofit organization. And the proceeds from this uh, this book go directly into supporting our educational programs and in particular supporting our air tours. Uh, when you buy this book, you help keep our b17 and our b25 and our four Trimotor flying and uh, and sharing the stories of aviation history. Uh, so if, if you if you don't have it and you buy it, you have our thanks. Yeah,
1: thank you for bringing that up, Hal. And actually, and you know, as as we record this podcast, um, aluminum overcast is a little sick right now. Um, <laughs> she's been in. Uh, at, she's at the B seventeen doctor. Down, but down, all going well. Been down in Florida for uh, the better part of the last year, um, but we fully intend to uh, return it to flight status. And um, and the uh, the the proceeds from the book do um, do fund that as well as the rest of uh, EAA's programs. So with that, um, as as we close with every episode, um, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Uh, please do leave a review um, if uh, if if you like what you see here. Um, uh, we always lo- love love. Love reading uh, the, f- the feedback that you have. Um, and, uh, you know, if you have uh, something good to say, leave it on uh, on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform. If uh, you don't like uh, what you're uh, what you're hearing, want well, to leave some negative feedback, I'll uh, channel Tom and Ray Magliazzi here, uh, two of my broadcasting heroes, and say, uh, write it on the back of a Lycoming IO360 engine and send it to Tom Sharpentier, Cara <laughs> VAA, 3000 Poperesney Road, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, 54902. Tom also ex- uh,
2: accepts Aircraft Spruce gift cards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, gallons of 100 lolit.
1: Yep, yeah, and none of this at all is um, is against our business ethics policy. So, <laughs> <laughs> except for all of it, yes. But with, no, but ser- seriously, uh, you know, uh, feedback at ea. is a, is a great place to um to, to leave any kind of um, suggestions for us, including um, Tom. Please knock off the lame jokes. And uh, with that, um, uh, yeah, buy the book, um, and uh, keep listening to the podcast, and we'll see you next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot.